there are many ways to understand the spiritual path, the awakening, the opening of the heart to that place of knowledge and freedom. And in the Buddha's teachings there are the Four Noble Truths as a template for understanding our life and practice. There's the Eightfold Path, another map of the terrain to be covered in the walking to freedom. There's the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, an understanding of the balancing faculties and factors of mind that are necessary to see clearly. And there's the understanding of the five spiritual faculties. The five qualities of heart and mind that are developed on the spiritual path. It's helpful to understand the work to be done as a path, a movement from where we find ourselves now towards an ideal, towards perfection, towards the development of the qualities of an awakened mind. The five spiritual faculties is a useful template for understanding practice because it includes the understanding that practice is a gradual development of energy, wisdom, mindfulness that happens in a progressive gradual and a cyclic way. And these five faculties of mind, when developed and brought to maturity, are the guiding qualities of the heart. So I want to speak of them. And tonight, in particular, I want to speak of the first of these guiding or spiritual faculties. And that's the faculty of faith or confidence. The five faculties are faith or confidence, which when aroused or when there's a seed, a blossoming, a budding of the seed of faith, then we are encouraged or moved to make the effort to proceed, to, to move in the direction of our spiritual aspirations, our goals in life. And this effort is the second of the spiritual faculties. As we make effort, as we put energy into our spiritual practices, 
taking refuges, precepts, practicing uh, generosity, living an ethical life, developing the mind, being kind. As we energize these behaviors, these practices really, we become more mindful. We become more present with the situation in the moment. We become more responsive to the, the conditions of our life and the condition of those around us. We become more aware. This mindfulness is the third quality, the third controlling faculty. Awareness, as we have seen in our initial days of this retreat, is an elusive quality of mind. It's here and gone in a flash. And it's very difficult, really, to pin it down, to to rest in a confident uh, in a confidence that mindfulness is and will be present but as we make our efforts and as mindfulness develops it is the continuity of mindfulness the frequency of moments of mindfulness which deepens concentration which collects the mind which raises the power of the mind, if you will, which magnifies the power of the mind. And this concentration is the fourth faculty, the fourth spiritual faculty. As the mind becomes more powerful, as we see more moments of our life through this non-judgmental, mindful awareness, we understand more. We understand more of who we are, how we are, why we are, and how to move uh, towards greater happiness. Our understanding, our self-knowledge, our wisdom deepens. Wisdom is the fifth of these spiritual or controlling faculties. So we have confidence giving rise or supporting energy, effort, the effort uh, resulting in mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness, collecting the mind and, and uh, deepening concentration, the deepening of concentration, revealing more understanding, which in turn, when we understand more, when we see more, when we know ourselves more deeply, we have more faith more confidence, more trust in the practice, the teachings, the teachers, and ourselves. And in this way, the uh, five spiritual faculties gradually develop in the course of our practices. When these qualities of mind are developed. 
they become what is called an indriya, a power, a capability, an aptitude, the predominant qualities of the mind. And we could see in our own efforts here how powerful the mind can become, how the continuity of being mindful inevitably over the course of a few days really deepens our understanding. We see more. The journey of awakening or the journey to awakening is a journey that we each must take. No matter how well we know the route, no matter how detailed the map, we still have to walk each step of the way. And that journey is filled with details. A couple of years ago, there was a book written about Lewis and Clark, the Lewis and Clark uh, expedition. And the Lewis and Clark expedition is uh, a group of men that were uh, empowered and funded to explore the whole western half of the United States to try to find a route from the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean when nothing was known about this area, for those of you who are not familiar with American geography or American history. And uh, they had no idea, really, what they were getting into. They just knew that there was some, some expanse of land between here and there, and that they were going to find the river that uh, went from here to there. And when we think now of Lewis and Clark and the expedition, we, have, we think of it in these uh, lofty uh, term, uh, ideas, you know, how noble it was and how grandiose and how, what a fantastic thing. It was a, a scientific as well as a political uh, and a geographic expedition that was just uh, magnificent. But when you read the story of what those guys put up with, it was horrendous. I mean, it was just unbelievable, the intolerable conditions that they lived with every day of this two-and-a-half or three-year trip. Well, our spiritual journey is something like that. <laughs> you know, we're all headed towards peace and enlightenment and, you know, just compassionate living for all beings in the world, right? But in the meantime, we have to put up with, you know, our neighbors and, you know, sore knees and, you know, mosquitoes that bother us and, you know, stuff like that. But that's, that's the stuff of noble endeavors, is these uh, bothersome details. <laughs> Trungpa Rinpoche um, once said of spiritual practice, it would be better if we had never begun. 
<laughs> but since we all have begun, it would be better if we finish. <laughs> No matter what we've read, no matter how much we have tried to understand and figure out the path ahead of us, we'll never know until we walk it ourselves. And so we have to ask, what is it that moves us to take that first step? Or to take the next step? What is it that allows us to move from the known, what we know now about ourself, where we are, how things are, and to take that step into the future, to take that step into the unknown, to take that step just beyond our limits of tolerance, our limits of understanding, our limits of confidence, our limits of energy, and to take one more step to expand our capacity as a human being. What is it that allows us to do that? Faith. That intuitive, intangible quality that has nothing to do with what you know, what you've read, who you've talked to, who your teacher is. But it's this internal quality that feels the rightness of the step, that knows the direction you're going, that is willing to take the risk. And every step of the spiritual path, every moment of practice, requires this willingness. Am I willing to be here right now? Am I willing to acknowledge the way it is right now? Am I willing to let go of this, to discover to open to, to explore the next moment. What is beyond our reach? What is beyond our vision? What is greater than we have previously experienced? That's faith. <clears throat> faith is a kind of a double-edged sword. It can support the most noble endeavor. If we're willing to investigate and look, we can discover what is uh, just beyond our uh, imagination. On the other hand, we can place our faith in something, someone, some path, some practice, without questioning it. Blind faith. And this can be dangerous. When our faith is untested, when our uh, 
what we have faith in uh, permits no questioning, uh, comes to us as dogma uh, and uh, commands rather than invitations, then that kind of blind faith, which we can have, uh, can, can lead us in the wrong direction. And so, authentic faith, true faith that is going to lead us in the direction of developing unshakable, knowledgeable confidence, must include the spirit of inquiry. It must allow for questioning, to look and to question and to, to challenge what we have been told, what we believe, what others have told us is the way. Ultimately, the development of spiritual confidence, faith, assurance, that, that unshakable uh, confidence that we are moving in the direction of true liberation comes through self-confidence. When we rely on a teacher, they can support our inquiry. They can support our practice. They can offer us encouragement, guidance. But ultimately, they cannot answer the final questions for us. Only we can do that. If we have questions, as we all do, we can discuss with teachers, we can, dis we can read books, we can discuss with others who've been on this path, we can get an understanding, we can be inspired, we can uh, be encouraged. But until we take that step ourselves, we don't know. We really don't know. And it's important to have that willingness to inquire. The Buddha said, do not believe in anything simply because you have heard it. Do not believe in traditions because they've been handed down for generations. Do not believe in anything because it is spoken and rumored to be true by many. Do not believe in anything simply because it is found written in religious books. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teachers or elders. But if, after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and the benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. That means we listen, we practice, we evaluate its reasonableness, and if, with all that, it does lead to the good for oneself and others, all, then that's the true path. And we should really uh, undertake it then and, and, and strive to live 
aligned with that, what we understand. I mentioned earlier my first retreat. Went to a retreat without having any expectations, any any knowledge really of what I was doing, and yet something was awoken in that in that uh, shocking uh, experience of 14 days on the cushion. And really, what was awoken was not only, as I mentioned the aspiration, but a certain level of faith, confidence. Uh, there was a, a little bit of experience that was uh, seen in the context of the whole path, the possibilities of the path, and connecting with others walking the path, and, and seeing the possibility, believing the possibility for myself. But just that belief, just that hope, just that expectation is not mature faith. That's just the sprout of a faith seed. And it takes a lot of nurturing and conditions to, of course, grow that sprout into uh, a rock-solid, unshakable tree of faith. A couple of years after that retreat, I got a, a... a notice in the mail that um, some of the teachers and others had purchased a meditation center, the Meditation Center in Massachusetts. It was a large set of buildings and they needed help uh, repairing the building so it could be used uh, as a meditation center. That was my profession at the time, contractor. So I went to this uh, center for what was to be a 10-day or a two-week work retreat where you you pay to go on a retreat and work. Things were different in those days. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember I I walked into this place and it was a huge set of buildings and I uh, went into the office and they took me up to one of the dormitory rooms and I walked in the room and there was in this room a mat on the floor with, uh, you know, the sheets and blankets. That's it. And I walked to the window in the, in, the, in the room and I looked out and I looked out into the backyard and I saw one person there working, uh, rolling up a hose. And this wave of energy came over me and I felt and knew this was my home, and that I was going to spend my life here, just like that. It was wordless. I, I, I had no reason to believe. I didn't, I didn't know anybody there. I'd never been there before. But this, this wave of what came over me? Faith, confidence, uh, a knowledge that there was some uh, connection, something that was inspiring, something that was really calling me and moving me, encouraging me to realize, to manifest, to, to bring forth into 
my life into the world, the goodness within myself. Faith does that. Faith brings forth the goodness within us. Faith calls forth. It develops. It, it, it looks for. And by practicing faith, we develop our goodness, our kindness, our energy, our awareness, our compassion, our generosity. These actions, this, this goodness, only comes if we have faith. It's not logical, it's not rational, it's not scientific in the ordinary sense or in the, in the, the limited sense that we understand scientific. And yet, we know it in our heart. That knowing, where does that come from? This inner knowing of faith is unprovable to others. You can't prove it to anyone. You can't prove your faith, the object of your faith. We all have faith. But we need to ask, what do we have faith in? Do we have faith in the truth as we discover it in our own experience? Or do we have faith in our ideas, opinions, beliefs, conditioning, fears? We all have faith. What do we have faith in? That's the question. Do we have faith in our capacity to see, to discover, and to live the truth? Or are we fearful, limited, caught in a belief in faith in limitation, fear, deprivation, inadequacy? with the awakening of faith, spiritual faith, it's as if our spiritual compass comes into view and the direction of our true path becomes apparent. It's said there are three kinds of faith. Blind faith, bright faith, and verified faith. Blind faith is the unquestion, unquestioning uh, reliance on a belief or dogma. Bright faith is that feeling I had in that in when I went to that uh, work retreat. But you too have all all of you have had some experience of bright faith. Maybe when you first heard the Dharma. You first hear the Dharma, or you read uh, a Dharma book, and you just open up and you have this, you just marvel at the simplicity, or the scope of it, or the profundity of it, and you just go, wow. And some, some knowledge comes up in you, some knowledge arises in you that is more than in the book, or it's not even in the book. You look at a, uh, uh, a picture of monks on alms round in some foreign country, 
and your heart goes, mm-hmm. or you look at the sunset here. You watch the sunset, and you see the sunset and the clouds in the sky and the colors, and suddenly you understand everything, and it's all okay. Faith, that bright faith, that that inner knowing that you can't prove, but it's unshakable within you. Bright faith. But bright faith alone is not enough for finishing the path of awakening. Because, as we have all discovered, there comes time uh, on our path of awakening when we get stuck in the mud or we get stuck in pain and suffering and uh, confusion and bewilderment and uh, anger and frustration and our expectations aren't being met and uh, what encourages us to go on? What allows us to, to stay in that place and to, to pay attention, to look, to, to open to our suffering? We don't know that we can get through it. It often feels overwhelming. Anybody in their right mind would say, I'm out of here. <laughs> Lucky for us. We have encouragement to stay here. And that's a lot of our, a lot of our work is to, is to uh, encourage you. Go to the edge. Go to the edge of what you can tolerate and wait. Just wait. You don't have to look for anything in particular. But just wait for the possibility of taking one step over the line of your limits. The great challenge to our faith, our confidence, our self-knowledge is doubt. Doubt about the teachings. Doubt about the teachers. Doubt about our own ability to realize the truth. And these doubts are paralyzing. And these doubts are not answered by debate or reading or discussion, but only by moving through them. We don't come to unshakable confidence by picking a path in which we never confront doubt. That doesn't lead to unshakable confidence. That leads to a fragile, narrow, dogmatic hope that we're headed in the right direction. To reach the goal or to reach the place of unshakable confidence, we must root out every filament of doubt in our heart. Every doubt that we might have about path of practice, the way of practice, and can I do this practice? We, we will confront 
we will come, we will discover it. And it can't be answered other than by staying right there and continuing to be aware, to be mindful, to acknowledge that's what you're feeling right there. And to take the next step, to go in, to move into the next moment with this overwhelming, paralyzing doubt or fear of pain, of loneliness, of failure, of insecurity. And when that's there, we stay with it. We open to it. We allow it to be there. We don't get this macho, no fear, confidence. Forget it. That, no, that kind of no fear is denial. But rather we say, yeah, fear. Hmm. Yeah, doubt. Okay, I'm still here. I haven't died yet. You know? And it passes. You, you move through it. You go through it. You see. You can be with overwhelming doubt, overwhelming fear, overwhelming anything, pain, and live. That's amazing. And you'll see when you come up against pain, and it can be deep, overwhelming emotional pain, it can be knee pain. And when you stay there with it, and you stay there with it, and you open to it, and you accept it, you acknowledge it, you let it be there, and you say, we are going to learn to coexist. That's it. You know, I'm not running away, even if you don't go away. That's the development of confidence. That's how confidence develops. And it takes just a single, really, a single outlasting of pain, outlasting of fear, outlasting of boredom, to really get a hit of intense self-confidence. It's great. It's a powerful support for practice. Powerful. And it is also impermanent. (laughs) Everything changes. Even self-confidence. It comes, it goes. Doubt. It comes, it goes. But the knowledge we gain of ourselves the self-knowledge that we acquire through these innumerable uh, confrontations with our doubt is what nourishes the seed of confidence. I mentioned that I went to Burma after some years of practice here in the States, and I'd never traveled outside of the U.S., and I just got on a plane in uh, Massachusetts, and I flew to Rangoon, and I'd never been in the tropics, I'd never been in a foreign country, and I didn't know, I didn't know anything about anything, 
But I just knew I was going there to practice, and that was it. I, I, there was nothing that was going to stop me. I was really determined. And um, I got to Rangoon. I spent a day doing the tourist thing, and I went right to the monastery. And I said, I'm here. Just check me in. And it was a shock. <laughs> it was a shock. I didn't understand the language. The, it was tropical, hot. Unbelievable hot. The food was different. The the you dress different. You men wear uh, men wear skirts in Burma, and it was just it was just everything was unfamiliar, and it was very. Uh, I felt very insecure, very uh, vulnerable, very uh, afraid, but confident at the same time. And there's one uh, memory that, that that sticks in my mind as this uh, as a, a, that really offered this turning, uh, the turning of my mind, my heart, to an ease in being there. In the meditation center where I was um, staying, breakfast is served about 5.30 in the morning. And it's just a light breakfast, sometimes just a thin rice gruel with uh, dried fish or something, and sometimes it's more elaborate, but uh, often it's just uh, not much just enough to get you going for a few hours. And uh, in there's, a, there's a sitting from about 4.30 to 5.30. And then at the end of the sitting, we wait around for the signal from the dining room, uh, a big uh, log bumping against another hollow log to let you know that breakfast is being served and you could come to eat. But in that gap between 5.30 and the ringing of the dining room gong, the uh, the people who were meditating there would do their morning chanting. And so, finish my sitting, and I'd step out of the hall, and I'd be waiting. It's, it's, it's semi-dark then. It's just barely coming dawn. And I would hear this uh, meditation hall full of women up on the hill near the, med- near the dining room. They would begin their chanting. And they take the refuges, the precepts, and they practice a little metta. And it's maybe it three to five minute chant and you know three or four or seven or eight or a thousand or twelve hundred women would begin <coughs> chanting and uh, Burmese women when they take the refuges and precepts and practice metta are very energetic and devotional they, they, they you know southern baptists have nothing on them they're really mm, they got a lot of energy And uh, it's enough to make the hair stand up on you, all over your body. It just is so inspirational. It's so arousing. And uh, they'd begin chanting, and then another meditation hall full of women, another off to the left, there's a, a double-decker meditation hall, 500 on each floor. Uh, the first floor, the second floor would begin chanting, and then the other floor would begin chanting, and then there's a men's, a men's meditation hall over here on the right, it holds about uh, 12 to 1500 and they begin chanting and there's another meditation hall down the back and that holds a couple thousand and they begin chanting and you know and uh, you get that many people chanting with a tremendous amount of faith and confidence and devotion and energy and love you you can't feel uh, uh, alone or you can't feel alienated, you can't feel uh, doubtful or fearful, 
you feel like you are in the, the Garden of Eden. Really. You know that you're in the right place, doing the right thing, and you have no doubt that you will succeed in what you're attempting to do. And that's the, the, the most magnificent quality of practicing in Asia. For all, that, all the difficulties that practice in Asia presents, and, and there are difficulties, uh, the one quality that, that is offered is this tremendous faith. Everyone in this meditation center, not only the monks who were doing the teaching or the administrators, but the cooks, the people that did the sweeping, all the little temple boys that run around uh, ringing the bells at every hour of the night, they all have practiced. And they've all practiced successfully, if you will, to some degree of realization, deep realization. And it's just a matter of course that anybody who comes there and practices is also going to realize it. And they are so happy for you to be there because they know you're going to get the benefit of, and you're going to realize the Dharma. And they're, they're, there's no doubt in their mind. You know, it might take a week, it might take a year, it might take more, but you will get it. You will get that confidence, that unshakable confidence in the teachings of the Buddha and your ability to realize it. And that's it. No question. And when you practice in a place like that, where everyone around you just, you know, they're just nudging you along, knowing that it is your inalienable right and you're going to get it. You feel like making all the effort that's required. There's no reason not to. It's just a matter of time. You do the practice, it will come. and a friend and a colleague has written this wonderful book in the lap of the Buddha about his experiences um, on the path of awakening dealing with difficulties so I, I looked to his chapter on faith to see what he had to say that really uh, inspired me or rung a bell and he says with faith there arises a wonder and awe and a gratitude for simply being present. For simply being present. No demand. No, uh, no uh, unfulfilled requirements in this moment. It's just, this is it. It's enough. It's okay. This shift gives birth to a deeper faith and happiness. Faith and trust take us to our edges, and it is at these same edges that faith and trust thrive. If we never meet our edge, how do we strengthen our trust, our faith?
confidence. My own experience is that through the <coughs> uncovering of the innumerable little mm, questions, doubts, fears, challenges, uh, uh, difficulties of practice, slowly there develops this self-confidence, this, this knowledge, this, this knowledge that I can do it. I can be with whatever this moment brings. And it's not an arrogance. It's not, it's not a proud, arrogant, you know, cockiness. Because true confidence is very calm, very stable, very sure. And it comes through having lived through the experiences, the challenges, knowingly, openly, with awareness, and not holding out for a good sitting. How do you know if a sitting is a good sitting? Anytime you sit, is a good sitting. It doesn't matter, really. Pleasant, painful, you know, easy, difficult, wandering mind, no wandering mind, that doesn't matter. If you sit and pay attention, that's a good sitting. Because you learn about yourself. You learn that you can sit through periods of, <laughs> apparently, no mindfulness. You know, somebody came to the interview today and said, gee, the first three days were good. You know, I had good practice. And then yesterday, it all fell apart. I couldn't be mindful. I mean, I just was like, I couldn't follow the breath, not even one breath. You know, it's like, and the mind would wander for hours before I'd notice it. I don't think it's really hours, but that's what it felt like. And yet, still here still doing it. We learn something about ourselves that you can't get from a book. <laughs> Jack Cornfield's going to write in a book, you can sit through boredom. <laughs> no, you can sit through periods of no mindfulness. You can, you can learn from that. You can be aware of that. Do you believe it? <laughs> it's not a matter of belief. It's a matter of doing it. And once you do it, you know you can do it. That's confidence. What have we sat through today? What have we sat with today? Overwhelming pain, fear, boredom, doubt, insecurity, disinterest, insatiable desire, utter frustration. I'm sure there's more. Still here still alive, still practicing. It didn't defeat us. We're still moving forward to realize this deepest aspiration we have. Freedom, liberation, self-knowledge. And in every step of the way, developing this confidence, this self-knowledge verified, affirmed confidence. 
after I'd been in Burma for two or three years, I'm not, I'm not sure, somewhere in there, this one monk who, from Upper Burma who had been to the States teaching, came through Rangoon, stayed overnight at the monastery I was at, heard that there was a foreigner there, me, who'd been there for a few years, and asked to see me. So somebody came and got me, and uh, I went over to where he was staying. And uh, he could speak a little English. I could understand a little bit of Burmese, and we had a poor translator. But we had a conversation. And uh, during the course of which he said, oh, how long have you been here? And I said, oh, about three years. And he said, why, you must have a lot of faith. And I said, well, sometimes I have a lot of faith, and sometimes I don't. And he said, oh, that's even better. (laughs) Because when you practice in the face of no faith, no confidence, that's when you really develop. You really develop, you, you grow roots of confidence in a direction and in places you never knew existed. That's when it really grows. So if you have met that place today, I can't go on. I give up. I don't believe it. But you didn't leave the retreat? Good. You are growing. You are growing roots of confidence in the terrain, the desert of doubt. This is the way we overcome our doubt. I noticed a few years ago when I first started uh, giving Dharma talks that often when I would give a talk for the first time I'd prepare a talk and I was going to give it for the first time, I would be very nervous. And I would, I would just be shaking with uh, uh, self-consciousness and, and uh, doubt. Is, is this a good talk? Is, is it got anything in here for anybody? And I, I would just, I would be a nervous wreck. And um, I would come in to the, to the hall and I would turn to the Buddha and I would uh, look at the Buddha the, the, usually it's a, sta- a Buddha statue in, in Massachusetts and I would say if you can say it so can I <laughs> and whatever you said I'm just putting in my own words and it would give me a, a kind of confidence it would give me a okay it's just what the Buddha said in so many other words and then I would turn around and face you all and the, the, the energy of self-consciousness and, and fear and doubt and it would go boom and out it would come with uh, some hopefully some clarity and some, some confidence some assurance that what I was saying was true from my own experience from others experience and I realized then that the, the energy of anxiety and the energy of confidence are not that different. It's just this subtle shift in the heart from the fear in a, of anxiety, the fear of judgment, the fear of 
whatever, to this confidence is, is just that much. It's not, it's, confidence has a tremendous energy that's stable, it's this going in a clear direction, where anxiety is equal amount of energy that's resisting. It's like, and if you open up and let that go, you let that flow, then the energy of confidence is there. So if you find yourself resisting your experience, struggling with your experience, uh, just really uncomfortable, doubtful, fearful, challenged, uh, you know, upset with your practice. Just remember, just, if the Buddha can do it, so can we. So can we. Remember the, the last scene before the Buddha's enlightenment? in uh, the movie, The Little Buddha, or whatever it was, or if you read it in the suttas, what, what's happening? This person is sitting under the tree, full of years of practice, austerities, uh, some degree of confidence, and, you know, a lot of determination and a lot of energy, and, uh, you know, making this uh, aspiration to reach enlightenment or bust, and uh, sits down under this tree and says, I'm not going to get up until I'm enlightened. And then, it all comes at him. All of the doubt. All of the challenges. Do you think that person, before they were fully awakened, didn't feel doubt? Of course they felt doubt. They didn't know yet that they were going to be enlightened, awakened, freed, in moments. But in that moment, just before the breakthrough to to that level of confidence. What is there? What's the experience? The last vestige of doubt. The last filament. The last thread of can I do it? Is it possible? Is it really? Is this really it? Is this really freedom? Is what I've been doing in my practice the path to freedom or not? And we don't know until we let go of that last thread or we uncover, expose that last thread and, and, and go beyond to that place of unshakable confidence. Verified faith. Your faith has been verified through practice and have reached this place of the heart not moving, not wavering, not doubting. So let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.